Hello and welcome to Scuttlebutt. Today we're taking a look at Stanley Kubrick's 1957 epic, Paths of Glory, based on the book by the same name. Paths of Glory gives an unfiltered look at war from all angles. As always, I'm joined by Nathan. Of course I take a swig of water right there. No, okay. Hi. <laughs> uh, and uh, two new co-hosts, Mike B., an Iraq War vet, history nerd, and Francophile. Yep. Hey. And Mike A., history buff who has forgotten more about Omaha Beach than any of us will ever know, and an independent filmmaker. Thank you, and fuck you. <laughs> so, hey guys, what's up? <laughs> no. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah so, uh, <clears throat> Paths of Glory. You know, I know that, I think it's a movie that we all like. Paths of and, Glory. Uh, <laughs> good point, you know, except it's black and white, so... Yeah, it's, it's actually uh, not violent at all. It's uh, it's uh, there's no gore in it whatsoever, but uh, it's, yeah. it doesn't need it, which is fine. Right, exactly. There, there, yeah. This G-rated. is the '50s <laughs> version of gore, but it's it's minimal. It's it's at best minimal, and yeah, and, X-rated for 1957. Right, but, you know, by yeah, 2021. They, they have the word "sexual" in it, which is a little strange. Yeah. You don't hear that word a lot in the 1950s. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and when people die, they don't flail their hands in right, the they're air. They're just dead. Yeah, yeah, uh, dead. yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That was the one thing I didn't notice rewatching this is like I, I watched Attack like I think it was like three months ago and I remember mm-hmm. seeing nothing but Bleh! yeah that's a uh, like, whoa you hit the mic um that's a yeah, uh, <laughs> technical <laughs> error here we go okay Whoops. starting off fresh. that was a that, I mean, that was just common back then for actors and stuff to do that mm-hmm. but uh, you know in terms of dying it's even worse if you go back to like the nineteen uh, teens and twenties where someone dies and they'll the, it's pretty damn funny. You'll you'll just have to if you go look up uh, the movie The Great Train Robbery from 1912, and you'll see some great dying in that. But um, uh, <laughs> interestingly, though, um, this movie Paths of Glory, all of the extras in it for the battle scenes were played by German policemen. Um, really? So, yeah, oh. kind of interesting because they were filming in Bavaria, and uh, they wanted people you know who had some experience you know with a. Uh, you know, military and stuff like that. So that shot where uh, Kirk Douglas is walking down the corridor of the trench. Uh, yeah, such a them, good tracking shot. Right, oh, yeah. So. They're all looking at him. Those are all German policemen. Huh. Interesting. And I noticed because uh, I watched it probably twice in the last two weeks. And uh, it's all the crazy weapons they have. Of course, there's not all French firearms. Oh, yeah. But, no, yeah, <laughs> in, you know, in, in, but I did no, notice a few sh- more show shows and stuff the last time I watched it, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't so, notice those, you know. but like I noticed the um, the three band muskets from the Civil War mm-hmm. that they had yep. with the locks. You can see that the locks clearly on those, so that's you know, and then with the, with the um, trowel bayonets, you know, and it's like okay, I get it. Like the budget might have been a little bit lower than most films, but still at that point. Because here's the thing: is what's funny is mixed in with that are 1886 nine or uh, 1886 rifles with with the correct bayonets mixed in, and so it's like yeah. I noticed the Lebel rifles. There's even, during the firing squad scene. There's German Mausers being used. Yeah, and in the uh, the the tracking scene as well. There's a lot of those. They switch them out. It's funny whenever they're going to shoot blanks, they switch them out to like Smith and Wesson victory models. But when they have just the regular shots, they have the actual correct firearms. Um, if you go yeah. on IMFDB, which is a great website, then yeah. uh, you can see like all the different changes and shit that they did for it. And uh, they did a pretty good job. You know, again, it's, everything looks European and Pirelesque. It's not like they're trying to dress M1 Garands up or M16s right. up for like, you know, right. Gilded Age style manufacturing. 
that's that's another thing. But uh, no, it's uh, for in terms of uh, we're talking about technicalities right out of the gate. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, like y- you just kind of have to accept that when it comes to old movies, it's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. yes. uh, and, and it's it's yeah. it's understandable. Like you know, people really give older movies shit. Like people love to point out the tanks and a lot of these old movies and stuff, yep. like you know, Patton and all that. Yeah. But um, the thing is, like the internet didn't exist back then. I mean, and, like there weren't nearly that many books written about this stuff back then. So it was like, yeah, of course they're not going to see it as a main priority. It's like, okay, it's a tank. We'll just put a tank in there and put a Balkan Kreutz on it, and it's fine, you know. <laughs> um, but right. uh, yeah, but now thanks thanks to uh, the internet, we can shed light on all existence. And uh, there are more uh, nerds like us out there who, uh, you know, really see that stuff. Oh, yeah. We could be super nerds, you know, and we're very lucky to live in the information age. But you know, it's very true. I, uh, I worked in a museum very on in my, like, history career and my teens and stuff. And uh, my director used to say, uh, oh, you know, I wanted to learn about history as a kid. I would wait till Saturday at 11 p.m. They would play, you know, uh, War of Worlds, which was the BBC documentary. And, uh, you know, so that's how I would uh, get my one hour of good documentary footage every week, you know, and today it's like you go to YouTube and you can just spend a week or two or however long you want just looking at original footage and just seeing everything. So the rabbit holes, the rabbit holes are a lot deeper than they ever have been. And and I think and I think I mean I think Brian's the only one here under thirty. You know, fuck you. But the other thing is that the the you know I I bet both the mics would say that you know we probably got our history mainly from the History Channel before it was aliens and whether or not Hitler's still alive in Argentina (laughs) and Argentina and ice road truckers and all that stuff. Like I mean, (laughs) like I mean, I I would like mainly turn on that channel and just be like, oh, here's my history dump. You know, which one am I going to watch for my you know, hour of TV my parents allowed me to watch. Let me ask you this, though. Like, today, if you went back and watched those shows that you watched back then, would you roll your eyes at them? Like, yes. a, yeah, probably, yeah. Some of them, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. Like, Enterprise 360, which is a really good documentary about the um, carrier Enterprise during the war. I've rewatched it, like, the last two years. It's really good. Other things, like Sex and the Swastika or, or whatever, you know, some great... <laughs> 90s, you know, documentaries. I've they, never they heard of that. Sex so and swastika. Sex oh and the swastika. What and also, all, all, and all, what did Borman do in his, you know, 2 a.m. <laughs> and you know, Charlottenburg? I'll add this. That is Tales of the Gun, right? Which is one of my favorite oh, shows. Oh, dude, was a that kid. was such a good show. Right. I would add that is Tales of the Gun. Like I watched the episodes on YouTube recently, which is where my uh, series on YouTube, Tales of the Fud, came from because. It's so inaccurate. A lot of the shit is conjecture. It's just kind of these fudlore myths that were perpetuated, and they actually they actually presented them as facts. And I was like, like the the show shot, you know, the the show shot, the CSRG fifteen it jammed all the, worst, the time and it was horrible. And right, right. And it's like, well, tree. exactly. And if you get if you get into that, you go, well, the CSRG eighteen was a piece of shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because they tried to design it for the 30-06, which the whole design did not function around that. But, like, the CSRG-15, in its application, and when it was, you know, uh, um, um, fielded properly by troops, it was actually a very effective weapon. And it was very state-of-the-art and very, like, whatever. And people were like, oh, it's the worst machine gun ever, because we, we view it as a modern application to something that was in the First or the Great War, you know? And it's like, well... Yeah, even if you get one magazine off with that thing, rapid fire, 
it's still going to do more in an infantry assault than a, a bolt action rifle would, you know? And they don't, they don't consider that at all. So like tails of the gun with a lot of their things, they got a lot of shit just wrong or it was flood lore, you know? And well, then they, they, you know. sorry, Mike, keep going. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So the, I think the one that was for me, that was like the most unintentionally hilarious was a uh, weaponology. Yeah. Oh, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> oh my god, that's like that's bad. Are you like on the military channel? Yeah, on the military channel. Yeah, yep. like this is a... that. That was that was that like special uh, ex special ops guy. He's like bald, right? Um, no, I think um, I no. That's that, that, I'm not thinking like weapons, weapons of the future. Or future, future weapons. weapons. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. The guy that yeah, he was like this right the same here. league. Yeah, that guy was yeah. like this right yeah, 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 here yeah. is the AA twelve. You know, and it's just like fuck you. Yep. The Rangers will be wearing these in five years, and it's like the suit, you know, with everything, the late night, the Land Warrior program. The exosuit. You know? <laughs> yes. Fun, funny enough, yeah. I actually have all my, I, I can't. Tactical skateboards. I, I can't remember. I believe it's, I believe it's like World of, like War of the Worlds, or I think it's War of the Worlds, or something close to that. And it's, um, um, my, my I found it like when my cousin gave it to me as like a birthday present like ten years ago, and it's every single VHS copy. The problem is I haven't had thing I've had a VHS in almost like fifteen years, <laughs> so it's just yep. sitting in my. Ba- but I remember watching that like on the History Channel, and those actually were pretty damn good and pretty accurate, if I remember correctly. But I mean, like I'm sure if I sat down with my books now, and watched this, it'd be like, oh god. Like yeah, this is, this is this. Hitler's in Argentina. Most, you know? most of those <laughs> programs are only written by one guy, so yeah, it's like it's, yeah. of course they're gonna fuck some things up. I'd like but, to make some documentaries. I mean, like you know that aren't shit. <laughs> well, it's like so. <laughs> so Michael so just brought up so bad. Michael just brought up a really good point. Is like a lot of those episodes were written by one person, right? And so, you know, one person can be very specialized and know a lot about one thing. But they're gonna fuck up a lot of things. But at that point, when they when they're when they're tasked to write this episode, they gotta go. Well, I am the end all be all expert on this, so I have to know. Or I have to make it look like I know what I'm talking about. And that's where you get a lot of this fud lore shit and this kind of like inaccurate information. It's like instead of just going, I like to consult with other people. It's like you get this thing of like time constraint, and you know you get this job, and like you don't consult with anybody else. You just all right, well, here's how it is. And and it's like that, 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 like looking back on these, on these, on these things, like on the history channel, I've noticed a lot of that. It's like, it's not these people are stupid and they don't know their shit. They're just not specialized in every single aspect of what they're talking about. And they yeah. And, and that's fine, but they're, they're expected to be, and they delivered, which is not good. You know, it's like, if, if if you're specialized in one portion of that, that's fine. But also, it was to save money because then we don't have to hire you know more than one uh, historical advisor or person working on this specific episode or this film. It, it translates into all of these different media kind of uh, things, and that that was a huge problem that I noticed, and it it, it rears its ugly head in like you know Sam Private Ryan, which at a later episode we can get into like in depth. Um, things like that. And yeah, Dale die, which he's a great, yeah, he's a great guy. He knows his shit, but also like on the history channel, it's like, Jesus, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, you got partially correct information going out there to your viewers, but you've also got a lot of bullshit that you don't really know about. You're just kind of regurgitating 
shit. And again, that was before the internet age too, like really took off. And so I can't fault them, but it's still, it's still not good. It's a big deal and it has to be rectified and corrected now. So true. And it's funny how 40 years before those documentaries, you know, in the fifties, Kubrick got these things a lot closer to reality of the French army in 1915, 16. And, you know, these documentaries would in the nineties and, 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 you know, later on, you know, it's funny. So he did have a really good manuscript to work with because Paths of Glory is actually a real book, which I found out uh, very recently, actually. Um, uh, I knew it was a book. I've never read the book, obviously. And I know if the book is based on a real incident that happened with four men instead of three. Yes. Yep. I guess they had, you know, cut production costs, you know, eh, three guys, four guys, who cares? We but, don't want to pay uh, for the fourth P yeah, guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, no, but um, still, like it doesn't yeah, matter because in the film teams. they were they were gonna do ten from each, they were gonna do mm. what, twenty or thirty guys. Yep. So to them it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Like mm-hmm. the, the the high command, like the generals, who were so far removed from this experience that was going on. Very true, incredibly and, true for the you know they, they might have had combat experience in the Franco-Prussian War or you know something else, but like they were so far removed they didn't know what the hell. And it's like it's very apparent in this film is like they go up and they're doing their little. You know, the general's doing his rounds, and then they cower every time artillery goes off. And they're like, eh, okay. You can tell they're just not used to being there. And the guys are, because they're not cowering. Like, the, the colonel's kind of getting behind cover, but he's not cowering. And so that also shows a disconnect. And so, yeah, to, to the general, 30 guys or three guys, it doesn't fucking matter. And so that, you know, to me, it doesn't matter if, they, if the original was four and this was three, because it didn't matter to them. They didn't give a fuck. And and at the end, how the general was like, your men die so well. You know, oh, you always have the one guy that's, you know, oh, it will be bad. But no, they died so well. You know? Yeah. So what I like about it the most is that it follows an order from, you know, the highest echelon down to the lowest soldier getting killed to the ramifications of, of what happens. You know, and it shows how everybody can be persuaded. We can't take the ant hill. That's incredible. So you're saying it can't be done? Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, you know, my men. Are, it's just incredible how, you know, things can be turned around and, and people well, can it, be turned around. It was impossible things. until Even Kirk that. Even Douglas, yeah. you know, he was convinced they could take it. And, you know, and obviously it, it didn't work out. It was but. impossible until that star was kind of introduced. He goes, oh, I don't want to, to make yeah, a sweet you know. decision. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that shit still happens today in the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. in every military. It's like. That was very interesting. Like, he goes, well, you know, okay, well, you don't want to do this. You say it's impossible, which is fine, because it is at that point. And then, oh, well, they were going to give you another star and give you a command of another unit. And it's like, well, oh, well, the things that you... I don't want it to influence your, your decision. Well, selfish fuckers at the top always are influenced by, oh, I can get more rank. I can get more clout, you know? Once you get above major, you know... And uh, Lieutenant Colonel, it gets very political. And I knew yep. a guy that eventually did. He's currently a general. And um, I know actually another guy is a general, too. But, um, you know, the jump from Colonel, even the jump from light Colonel to full Colonel is really big. The jump from Colonel to general is very political and it takes a long time, yep. you know. And once you do it, it's just a lot of vetting and, and things. So, yeah, to have that dangle in front of you is a very big thing. It's but also very him be- in the beginning. You know, he was so, uh, that's impossible to do, but right. just how, how 
the idea of something works on somebody without even pushing it. You know, just the thought of things. It's well, it's also at that point, attempt. you're so disconnected from your actual fighting soldier. You're oh, so completely. disconnected. Yep. Because mm -hmm. you've been, okay, yeah, you were fighting soldier 20 or 30 years ago mm -hmm. in a different time period, a different war. And you've been in this cushy lifestyle since. You don't have a clue. It's all about you. Which I guess, which I guess at that time, which would have been what? 1916. Uh, you, it, well, well, no, no, no. I mean, like if you were, if you, oh. you're saying, you're saying 30 to 40 years before, is that like Napoleonic? I, I don't know. I don't. I'm no, my history no, no. It's, 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 yeah. it's Franco-Prussian or right? Napoleon. Sorry, Napoleonic 1812. Um, <laughs> exactly what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, Franco-Prussian. Yeah. It, it, it would have been a possibility that 1870 and 1871 that they might have been there as a rifleman or no, I'm sorry, a musketeer. Um, they still called them at that point. And then it could have been a possibility. And then that was the only combat experience these generals have had. That's it. You know, one interesting thing when I, that I've, uh, I remember hearing about this, um, with, uh, the, the Gulf war. And uh, I also heard about it with uh, world war two as well, that, um, like these guys, uh, kind of towards the end of one war, like they would sign up or be drafted or something like that, and they would train. But then the war ended; they didn't, they didn't fight, you know. And yep. then, and then, uh, but then they stayed in the military. So they have a whole career yep. of being in the military. And then, like, so, like, I heard about this with, um, yeah, like the, the the Gulf War. Like there were generals who they signed up, you know, around Vietnam, but it, they could they didn't get sent over to Vietnam. So then when the Gulf War happened, they were like really gung-ho. They're like, this is my, finally, I get my war. I've been in this for 20 years and now I can finally do it. Right. And um, I get that a lot with the, uh, with the, uh, the general character in this, you know, in, in Paz of Glory, that he's just, you know, he, he's not really gung-ho, but he's, he wants to, you know, he wants to be important, you know, but he never really has been before. He wants know? to be put in the history books. Right. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, I remember some people have said, like, you know, well, he's clearly seen some shit before. He's got a scar on his face. Like, no, that's a dueling scar. That's a right. dueling yeah. scar. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a Glasgow smile. The right. Fuck? Yeah. That's from, uh, you know, his uh, his time at the uh, academy when he was fencing, you know, and stuff. That wasn't yeah. that's not uh, that's yeah. not a battle scar. <laughs> but uh, so little important things like that that you right. got to look out for. It, this this uh, and I'm sure Ackerman, you know, this. And to Brian, or even Mike B, was it traditionally filmed in black and white, or was it, or is that was a stylistic choice afterwards? I'm pretty sure it's stylized. Stylistic choice because actually most in movies in the 1950s were in color. Um, color yeah. had really started yeah. taking over at that point. Uh, like black and white is usually like, you know, 30s and early 40s. But uh, once like yeah, they they were still doing they were still doing black and white filming in in the forties well because I mean I I my 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 background's animation and film so it, okay, I, cool. I know that to an extent but like I I I don't know when the transition was solely color or soul or or like it was like that kind of like you know hipster choice to pick to still do Wolverine or black and white sorry like nineteen fifties because uh, if you watch most movies from the fifties actually they're in color and. Uh, Right. You know, like when Psycho came out in 1960, it got criticized for being in black and white. They're like, what? What are you doing? What's this for? But uh, but uh, yeah, most films at that point would have been in color, like To Hell and Back, which was, you know, two years before this was in bright fucking color. You know, right. like, color, yep. but like the early, you know, bright color. Because 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 that's that's what makes me think it was actually stylized to be black and white and not traditionally filmed in black and white, because you can normally tell when stuff's 
filmed for black and white because of the lighting is so intense because like um um an example would be um brian help me out what, what was the korean war film that we watched last time that was black uh, and white uh pork chop hill yes yep yeah, yeah that that was actually from my knowledge then mm-hmm. don't quote me on it was and i can just I'm guessing from the stylistic choices they were making with the lighting, it seemed like it was filmed in black and white. And I believe mm-hmm. that was 19, I don't know. I can't remember like maybe mid fifties at that point. So it's just, a, it's very interesting to see like if, and I'm was, pretty sure Kubrick yeah. probably was filming in color, but it's very mm-hmm. interesting to see the differences between stuff that was filmed to be done in black and white. And then stuff that is maybe stylistically well, changed to black and white. More it's I very interesting it. to see that. With Kubrick, the first color film I think he made was 2001. Space I, oh, I have this thing called The Internet because and the a Killing, computer, so which I'm was earlier than this, which is great. Good crime film he made is black and white. Spartacus yeah. is in color. Oh, true. Yeah. Yep. So Spartacus. Full, full Metal Doctor Jacket. Strange Love is black and white. Full Metal Jacket's from full the me- 80s. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket's in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Say at the same time. But um, yeah, um, Spartacus would be his first color film then. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. But then he goes back to black and white for Dr. Strangelove. He does actually. That, that, that's another uh, odd decision. At the time. So I think it's stylistic. It is. Know, 100%, yeah. You know? I, um, I, I know I got, I got kind of a weird thing. I don't, I've never really been able to make up my mind about, uh, about um, Dr. Strangelove. It's weird. It's uh, well, go ahead. It, it's interesting. Um, it is. So just kind of a little tangent. There's a really recent documentary that just came out about the Beatles called uh, Get, Get Back. Back or Get like Back, the, yeah. yeah. I'm watching it right really now. Really good. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I loved it. It's amazing to see that. And I've never been a real Beatles fan. I've been a big 60s music fan, but the Beatles yeah. were just too mainstream. Right. But I've always respected them for the music. And it's really cool to see how these you know songs have their startings and stuff and where creativity being filmed and things. And it's just really neat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to see that, um, see – where they wanted to go and then where they ended up, you know, with Kubrick, when he was looking into doing a nuclear film or a film about nuclear war and stuff, he wanted to be very serious and he wanted to do it very seriously. But the more he I knew into that. it, the more he, he realized how like, you know, this is fucking crazy, stupid. So that's why he ended up making it a dark comedy. So it kind of reminds me of like, get back because like, we're going to make the album. It's going to be great. We're going this way. And then it's completely the other direction. (laughs) Well, you know, holy shit, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. What I find Um, particularly very interesting about um, Dr. Strangelove. So like in terms of movies that are popular, you know, like they'll have a movie that's really popular and then like someone will come along and do like a parody of it. You know what I'm saying? Like the comedic mm -hmm. version of that. Um, And it's like, it it always has to come after like the, the big thing that comes out. And then you, it's okay to make fun of it. However, with Dr. Strangelove, it's the opposite because Dr. Strangelove came out and then afterwards, Failsafe came out. And Failsafe mm. is Dr. Strangelove, but it's serious. I don't know. Yep. You, have you ever seen Failsafe? I have a very long time ago. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it, yep. it, and people were like, fuck this movie. I don't want to see this. I want to see the funny movie, you know? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> it, it's just strange, which I think Failsafe is actually really interesting. I uh, think it's underrated. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things where the reason why failsafe, nobody really knows it exists is because the parody came out before it. True. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. You know, some films just get lost because of that, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, they're not that they're too obscure, but the, the, the comedy overtook that kind of like with airplane and the original airplanes, 
you know, looking back, you, people don't really know that there are all these seventies movies about disasters and airplanes. That's and airports, what, that's what know, the movie airplane was parodying. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, and now they look back like, Oh, that's funny film from the seventies. What the, I don't want to watch the air, airport, 1975. Like, right. What the fuck am I like, you know, commuting to LA? Yeah. You know, they don't want to watch that movie, but they want to watch the funny one. So by, exactly, by the way, you know. it, it was, it was uh, originally filmed in black and white. So they were filming with black and white film. So, the okay. past the glory so, yeah. yeah 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 and yeah. so another reason that i think they may have done that and it's just me it's totally conjecture it's not a fact at all is because when i'm looking at the french uniforms like the combat uniforms when they're in the trench and they're doing all that stuff a lot of those uniforms are not french they're not horizon blue they're they're they've got pockets they got breast pockets on them most of the french uniforms 99% of them did not have breast pockets unless it was like private purchase. And still it's, you're not going to see Easy that manufacturer. And, yeah. Right. But so in black and white, you don't see the color. Like it can be like khaki and still look like horizon blue. Well, right. That's or, the or, 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 yeah. Yeah. Or your mind makes that jump that everything should be correct because right. you don't have that reference. I mean like, and that, and that actually leads into my question for you might be, it's cause I know you're into war one, particularly French for, for like as me for, like for me for example i look at that and go i don't know what's wrong so it looks fine to me is there anything that screams that's just oh god that's like it'd be like for like i guess for all of us could understand like us seeing like 43s on d-day you know okay like, so like there's that. one thing that's because it's uh, i'm not an expert on french it's something that i've been delving into and it's a massive rabbit hole but I'm not the one sure thing that French, I will say but... is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really not. I'm for World War One. I'm not. It's uh, I'm not at all, and I, I'm still learning every day. I'm learning a lot, but like it's it's very difficult to get accurate resources. But one thing that I will say that screamed like that's just not right is having their bayonets when they're doing the night raid, and then Lejeune gets killed. Spoiler alert: um, Lejeune gets killed. <laughs> they're, they're going out there and they've got their bayonets on their left side, just hanging off their belt. No. They had in the uniforms on the great coat and on the tunic, which they would rarely wear, just the tunic alone. On a night raid, they actually might because it's less shit to get caught on stuff. But um, they had a loop that would go up through the frog of the bayonet and it'd be on your right side. Hmm. And so they're having them on their left side, just dangling the bayonets, correct bayonets, but like just dangling. That's something that I was like, yeah, no not gonna happen it's it's just not there the french are very meticulous about their um drill and ceremony and like when they said fix your bayonets it was a motion it was all just bam put your rifle on the ground with your left hand pull out your bayonet with your right fix the bayonet and then bam and so it was there for a certain reason and there was an actual loop on the uniforms that would go through the frog to secure it so it wouldn't move around you know, on the belt. So it would always be right there. And so that's one thing that screamed. Um, the rest of it is, uh, okay, so one good thing they did is they used actual M1915 Adrian helmets, okay? A lot mm. of these films in the 50s and in the 60s and stuff, they would be using the model 1926 Adrian helmet, which had, they didn't have that bead around the, the dome, and it was a, it was a two-piece helmet instead of a three-piece helmet. Well, actually, four-piece if you want to get technical. Um, and so, but they the also had like stamped twice or something. No, 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 no. They, 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 the, the, the 26 was the, um, the, um, the, the shell itself stamped and the comb was still a separate piece. Oh. And on the 15, it was the front part of the brim, the rear part of the brim 
and the shell and the comb were separate pieces that were assembled in the factory. And so you can mm. see this in, in Pass the Glory. You can see on the sides of their helmets, they've got the rivets holding the two brims together to the shell. And, or, you know, somewhat to the shell, not really, but, like, that's a rabbit hole that I don't want to get into right now. But, like, they, <laughs> actually, they actually use 1915 helmets, which is a very good thing. Like, I don't know where they got them. They're probably just available because of whatever, like, you know, surplus or just somebody got a stash of them. Who knows? But they were actually the correct helmets, which is good. The the uniforms and the gear, the gear was okay because they had the uh, the the ammo pouches, the 1915, and I forgot what the distinction was or the the nomenclature was for the previous ones. But like the actual just box kind of ammo pouches on their front, they had that, and they had a lot of things right, but they also just half-assed a lot of things, which is fine. It's very hard to research that and. Because it's in black and white, we can't tell the color of all these uniforms. So again, what, they could have um, been light, like khaki, and we would never know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like a famous thing is with uh, the, the film um, is Paris Burning, which is a great movie, which we'll probably eventually get to. But uh, like uh, when they were filming it in downtown Paris, they didn't want the German flags to be red and white like the original ones, because Parisians, you know, occupation. It's been twenty years. Fuck you. So. They, when they filmed it and they did it, they made the German flags with dark green instead of red because in black and white, it would come out the exact same. So when they filmed the whole segment and it didn't piss anybody off, like, oh, that's fine. You know, so that's funny. The tricks you can get away with, with black and white. Um, but to talk about, you know, uniforms and stuff, you know, they did a really good job at, for the 1950s at getting it right. Even like you're saying, yeah, there's pockets and there's a few little things off. But, you know, again, for 1957, it's just amazing. And I, I think that they did such a good job with, you know, the film and everything that you can get away with these little grievances because there's some movies and war movies, especially you watch being nerds where you just rip it apart and it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe X, Y, Z, you know, it just destroys the movie for me. But there's some really good, especially movies that, of the same year too, in the fifties in particularly. Yeah. Well, like it's Blue not, Max. it's not Hollywooded, you know, there's uh, that's, that's not to interrupt you, Brian, but it's like the one thing that passive glory does really well. It doesn't seem very, Hollywooded in that sense if we were to compare it to I know that I know it's years later but um uh what was a bridge of Vermagen yeah yeah where it just it just it's it you don't see that kind of <laughs> you know Hollywood style type of stuff to not to interrupt you it's just I agree with you no exactly yep and it's it's funny because in this film you don't see any Germans at all the only Germans you see it's it's great and it, it's funny because it's, it's a really cool thing to have. And there's a few other movies that do that um, in the era and not to me in the last few years. But um, as Mike will know, because Mike's an independent filmmaker, he's currently making a, a World War II film called Reveille about Audie Murphy and Italy and stuff. But, you know, having to source uniforms for one side is a hell of a lot easier than having to source uniforms from two different opposing sides. So, you know, maybe that's why just the French are so good in this. Yes, there's the little problems with rifles. Well, there's a, there's a lot of, there's but, a, you know, I, 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 I could get a lot more deep into what was wrong in like the cut yeah. of these things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to, to the average viewer, yes, it's okay. It represents the French yeah. soldier. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And that's all that they were going for. And that's all that we can ask for. So also really quick, I, I, I've watched it twice recently and once before. Is there a score to this film? No. Well, no, 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 no. no. Uh, a little bit. There's a little boom, 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 boom. 
you know, like it's at the, the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it's, the it's be- pretty cool. Well, there's, it's it's a dr- it's a drums. I think it's a drum mm-hmm. snare. If I was reading that earlier, yeah. During yeah. the uh, the night patrol scene, and uh, yeah, it's yeah. just like the subtle. It almost sounds like distant artillery, which I think is really right. Mm-hmm. So, but, but like, there's no official score though. Like through the whole thing, like it's not directing you on how to feel or or because I know I, I noticed that, but it's I was raw. like, did I just miss it or? Well, the um, mm-hmm. the the movie opens with the uh, I forgot what it's called, the French national anthem. Um, yeah, the credits and everything. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it ends. I think I don't know if it ends on that song, but it also ends with a big. You know, type. but I would have. Uh, I was actually thinking about this when I was watching it because I love that last scene with the the, the German girl and the uh, you know singing. The yes, song. Yeah. and how everybody, the, how the crowd changes. Right, and uh, I, I yep. the, the, they start humming it, and then you know Kirk Douglas he walks away. Then it turns into this montage of here's the cast, you know, and they list all the actors mm-hmm. and stuff, which kind of seems more of a yeah. studio decision. And uh, <laughs> I was just like, this movie would have been so much had a much more. I don't know, like bookend to it. If just the movie just faded to dark to black and the credits rolled while those soldiers are humming that song, like that would have been way fucking better. You know, like, I say, I love how the Sergeant comes up and he's like, we got to go back to the front. Yeah, and give him a few more minutes. Kirk yeah. Douglas. Yeah. I love that. That's just such a, that's what a good officer would do. You know, I, I, and if I'm, I think isn't, isn't the ending like a, like it's very 1950s where the credits roll and it's like that. Well, that's yeah. That's what yeah. I was saying. Is that yeah. it, it, after that, then the, the music plays and it like shows this, you know, such and such as but like it shows a, a, a curtain call basically where they show like images right, of right, the yeah. actors and like just dissolve it to black while that song, while they're singing while they're humming that song and have the credits roll. That's all you need. Like, but no, I'm sure the studio was like, no, we got to tack on what we always yeah. do for endings, you know. So. It's Agent McCarthy. And, know, and ending of military, <laughs> ending of military films has to be semi-patriotic, no matter what country. That's what that's what, that, that was. That's how they normally end it in the fifties, where it's like that. Yeah, nice yeah. sing-song. You know, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It's like go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have that in Reveille. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna end Reveille with a huge fanfare and a curtain call. It's going to be beautiful. It's like Kelly's Heroes ending, you know. <laughs> well, Kelly's Heroes, like, if you take that seriously, like, come on. Nate will come back from, like, you know, being wounded and all those, like, fucking chomping to a cigar. <laughs> Isn't Kelly's <laughs> Heroes a parody? Isn't that, like... No, yeah. it is. Yep. It's a parody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Love Kelly's Heroes. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's hilarious. It's it's the most 70s World War II movie ever made. That's the thing about the... Yep. That's funny about the 70s is that, like, for the, the, their way of, like, you know showing all how awful things are in the seventies was to like make fun of them, you know, like, uh, right. like mash yeah. and catch 22 and stuff like yep. that. It's like, this is an anti-war movie. It's like, it's a fucking comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's funny how the era really depicts it, you know, and it really gets the, uh, even, you know, it doesn't have to be like in the States or in Russia or Europe or Africa. Like, you know, it just, the decade gets a certain feel or a certain vibe regardless of a country. You know, so yeah, yeah, like the '70s is like that. So everything is a joke. You know, you got Mash, um, and then the '80s is like things are kind of super serious, but they're not like platoon. In the '80s, you know, things, things are in, in the yeah. 1980s. Things are Vietnam. That's what the, yep. it's all Vietnam. Yeah. Yep, it's commando. Nice it's conspiracy yeah. theories. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, yeah, it's uh, war movies in the eighties. They're like, we're gonna do fucking Vietnam movies up the asshole. And uh, excuse me, it's cop dramas in the eighties. Okay, let's. I'm, oh, I'm talking about war that. movies, dude. <laughs> Tour of Duty. Again, no, no, no. You know. There's a, there's an in joke between me and Brian with Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. Yes, there is. Okay, yeah, we'll get to how many yeah. screaming uh, Mel Gibson's you rate this film. Yeah, yeah. Don't but, get me started um, on Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh God. Oh no. Oh, we gonna but, go fisticuffs, uh, boy. <laughs> we'll see. Go ahead, Brian. Um, but uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> so what the fuck? Weird. On, all right. On but, the next um, on the next topic, Mel Gibson. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Christ. When he was in Paths of Glory, he died really nicely in the attack on the anthill. He almost made it to the German wire. He would have been a good guy to testify. I, I will I will transition here back on topic instead of talk going. Well, I was actually, I, I was going to say. But well, yeah. well, I, well, I was just going to just going to peter off of that. Just a sense of in terms of 1957, or I believe that's when it came out, is the effects are very much. I think I referenced like attack earlier where it's like, you know, the flailing of the arms, deaths and, you know, big puffs of smoke. And that's the hit and the fall and all that. The thing they do have a little bit of that with the extras, but but for the most part, I mean, you know, granted, most of the most of the battle-like things are in the beginning with the trench charge and all that stuff, and it's it's very, it it is very very different from what you see of the time before, where it's you know gasoline explosions and you know pyrotechnics. Like I I I come I my my interests in movies particularly are practical effects. In the, in the modern day cinema stuff, it's it's the CG versus the practical, and what looks great and what looks good, and so that's something I, I my eye always kind of gravitates towards. So I'm always I'm always looking at and studying it, and the thing that really stands out to me with Paths of Glory in terms of the combat stuff, with the falling over and the dying, yeah, there's a flailing arms, but the but those those impacts and those practical effects are really good because most time in those periods you're seeing gas explosions and you know debris yeah Michael Bay but Michael Bay 20 years before Michael Bay so it's like it's very interesting to, to see those you know those 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 effects and how well they do it because it's impactful it's not you know poof and then uh, it's it's they got really nice um practical effects and even the background and, and the layering of that scene of the scene you know kind of layers on itself and all the details you can see like you can rewatch that trench scene and see all the different details with every watch through you'll see something new especially to, in the back to, to piggyback off that you know i mean the, the last real big box office hollywood world war one movie was 1917 you know and to compare that to this you know this is a much better movie like the green fields in 1917 you know, and all that stuff compared to this, where it's like, this is it's probably one of the better films out there that depicts the hell of no man's land, especially when they're in it, you know, and it's just, you got to think about how hard it was for them to make a no man's man like that, you know, with shovels or excavators. Yeah. And, you and know, it's all uneven. Just it's just, it's just destroyed. The, the, oh yeah. The, the, the land is destroyed and it's like, yeah, it, you're trying to negotiate that and whatever. And yeah, kind of going off of what Nathan was saying is like, it's yeah. The effects weren't, terrible because they just showed a big kind of explosion and then there's a bunch of dirt and shit flying around and it's like that's what actually happened like dirt was dirt clouds and rocks and shit that the artillery would kick up was just as lethal as the fragments that would be coming out of them and it shows them bouncing around the field and you know just weird things like that and even though it's not perfect it's not really super accurate it's the most accurate you're going to see for a World War One film, especially from that time period, so yeah, it's not bad at all. 
Yeah. Um, the only one I can really compare it to when it comes to these giant, you know, uh, World War One battles is like uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Which one? Uh, the 1930s <laughs> one, the one that was the, that had already been made. Okay, yeah. yeah. Not the 79 one. Um, yeah, and there's, well, also another, there's, also, there's also another one coming out, right? I don't what? know about that. Yeah, I think I heard about there's that. There's a modern one yeah. coming out oh, very Jesus. soon. Yeah. All yeah. Quiet with the dick in your ass. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wow. gonna be, oh, Whoa. Fuck. Here we are in Provincetown. Whoa. Okay. All right. That's what it's gonna feel like. Um. But uh. uh don't, ask, don't tell. <laughs> um. <laughs> just my opinion. But uh. Um. Well, the thing is, like, <laughs> I I don't know. 2022. Like, what's that? Coming out this year. 2022. It's coming out this year. Oh my God. Daniel Bruhl. Is the, main is that? No, but the thing with All Quiet on the Western Front is that that's one of those things I can't really like I've tried I, I can respect that movie for like what it was at the time I just can't watch it and take it seriously because like it's so dated not in terms of like the you know effects on it but it's just like like yeah I know war is a bad thing like it's kind of like that's, that's all it kind of has to say which I well I was just gonna say record what he just said and have it as a clip <laughs> have it as a clip for <laughs> well look i have him soloed with dick in my ass so you know what i have all the things i can do so it's fine well, there, there's worse there's yeah. worse positions to be in we'll just throw it out there but just my whole point with, with with all quiet on the western front it's like i get like at the time that was like wow this is really daring to say all this stuff but like when i watch it now it's like it seems kind of trivial well but but the acting too Counter- like, let, let's just just really quick really quick i have to come out of the acting and like why it was so kind of dated is because like we were talking about in person michael is like those guys were silent film actors okay and they they, they got brought into the uh sound kind of production era that was 1932 so it was right and early. so so they yeah. were they were they Talkies were still were a new thing. overacting like a motherfucker like and, and so that's why it gets kind of like distracting from you know even even people that i know that are boomers you know they're like they grew up with war movies they're like yeah that was a bit over the top and i'm like yes it's because that's they came from this, this this era where you had to be so over the top, gesticulating on camera and like in all these all these uh, physical and, and and like you know facial motions and everything, and that's why. And so here's the thing: is they tried to redo it in '79, and it was just as bad. Yeah, that's the thing, though. That's what I say. Like, I, I don't really know if you could make All Quiet on the Western Front and like make it interesting now because it's kind of like everything in it is like you know the. Well, next, next fall, fall you'll be able to see if I know I will. I know I know I will. I was gonna say just probably coming off of Vietnam, that's probably why it's the same kind of feeling over right. again because right. it's from it's and like it's like yeah. the history's repeating itself so from the how, how many how many of you guys have actually read the book All Quiet on the Western Front? I read half of it. I read half when of it. I was like in high school, I maybe read half so of it. Page forty two. Okay. And then so you guys you guys haven't read the entire thing. That could be made into a phenomenal film. It could be, it could be made. But like, here's the thing: is the people that get it again, they're 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 so tied down with these bad habits that they've gotten ingrained. Whatever time period they do, like if you were gonna do that, like um, so let's make a worst one in 2020, whatever. <laughs> right. Well, we can make a <laughs> we can make a better one if you want to think about that. But like, it's it's a really easy easy kind of work to make real if you don't have. Hollywood as the fucking, you know, the, the, the obstacle you're trying to cross. Cause like, if you want to just make it and make it real, like, um, remark wrote, 
it would be really brutal. It'd be like just really depressing and sad and like, well, this, this doesn't get better. It doesn't ever get better. It just, you usually, usually, you know, books and works have their, their, their arch, you know, all the shit. And then the, the, you know, whatever the, the, the resolution, it's like, no, this book doesn't have that. About yep. the way you depict it. Like, I mean, you know, uh, Mike and, uh, and Brian, like our movie Reveille, like that's based on a book. However, like it's, it's about the way you present it, you know? And, uh, Right, and right. it's like, that's what I mean with all quiet on the Western front. It's like back then in the thirties, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's how they were able to present it at the time. And it's just kind of right. like, I can't really take right, it right. serious now because yeah, it's a lot of scenes of guys saying, well, they tell you that war is a good thing. Well, that's not a good thing. And it's like, you know, it's like all right. It's interesting. Cause I, I've seen the movie a few times and you know, I've always respected it for what it is. And it's, it's interesting to hear this, you know, looking at from the lens of a very early talkie and that, again, it was a, it was a new form of, of media that they were trying to experience. You know, my counterpoint was going to be that I agree when I watch it, I get a boring sense, not because of like I don't have a connection to it, but because I'm like, OK, it does its job. Like you're, you, you were saying earlier, you know, OK, war is bad. Okay, I, you don't have to yell at to, ah, you don't beat that's, with a hammer. That's basically back, what it's, you that's, know? that's the only thing it's yeah. about, you know? You know? <laughs> yep. yep. I think it's great for what it is, and that you, it's a movie you watch once. Yeah. You know? I, I've only so seen it's it once. Like, and, uh, yeah, and, and it, it's enough. You know, it's not, I'm not saying it's like, oh my God, it's horrible. It's not like uh, anything with, uh, it's not Wind Talkers. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's again, it's just a product <laughs> of its time. Respect it for what it is. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, um, and that, that's the yeah. same, that's the same opinion that we all share. It's just like it be, because like, I would encourage you guys. It's not, it's not a long read. Nathan, pull Nate. your fucking shit together. How about that? <laughs> pull your shit together, Nathan. You think wind talkers is funny? You, you, you threw in wind talkers as a comparison. Dude, I, I, no, watch, you didn't. I watch wind talkers for entertainment. Like I watch it. I have to do an episode on wind talkers. I'm going to one hand a Thompson. 14 hours long. I laugh my ass off every time I watch wind talkers. Okay. It's so no. bad. Despite all my rage, I'm despite all my rage, I'm still just Nicolas Cage. You know, it's like Okay, guys so, are Native American. You look like a Jap fucking dress up like a nip. Come on, do it oh now. Oh my god, we gotta fucking so we gotta make sure yeah fucking oh hit me in the ear, do it now. That's another so, rabbit hole we could do an entire podcast yeah. shitting on that piece of shit. <laughs> but like like I said, know, it's gonna be fourteen hours, you know. Yeah, and so yeah. but uh no for 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 like we're talking about because like past the glory is in the same category i would say is the original all quiet on the western front however it was done a lot better that's what my whole point was going to be yeah yeah. (laughs) okay okay so we're on the same page michael jesus when has that ever happened before um but uh no but seriously it's um you respect it for what it is and it's like it could be a lot better if we remade if we all read the book past the glory and worked on a production and had like you know millions of dollars worth of the budget for to get everything right, the effects, the 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 the, the scene, the, the 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 uniforms, everything. We could do it in a very realistic manner, I think. Okay, and would it be good? Would it be popular? Maybe, or would it flop? Who knows? But like, it's the matter of like, because here's the thing: is like the '79 All Quiet on the Western Front, they did their best. Like uh, Nate said, like. At the time, they did the best of what they thought they were doing, and right, that, exactly, yeah, that too. And they were using Turkish Mausers, which is really fun. But anyway, um, very cheap, very well, good. On the same, on the same token of this, Mike, you know, Mike B, could you remake Paths to Glory today? 
Yes, with no. with, the, with the correct budget. I don't think you can make could. it better. Um, I think I think I think, you, uh, I think you could I think you could be impressive, but yes. I don't think you could nail the same. Because because how much of it is nostalgia though? Like see that's the other thing. It's like, okay, I was just gonna too. thank you. I was yeah. just gonna say I was just like better in what sense? Yeah, mm. that's what that like you would have to do something other than just the what it already says, you know, because it already... What, we could have two night patrols where people die. <laughs> um, Instead of three, we have four prisoners. Everything, oh, everything, it has, everything it has to say that's in it is already, like, perfect, you know, in terms of what Correct. it's like. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know. I mean, sometimes some things are made great. Like, I think that you can't make a better DOS boot because DOS boot is so good. Like, right. you know, if you want to watch, a, like, a, a submarine movie about the war... Okay, watch it. You know, and very actually, you can't actually, make very a few. One, you can't make a worse one. So very okay. few fuck ups. Very few fuck ups mm-hmm. in that one. There were a couple. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, considering like if you so compare that against mm-hmm. like you know you do an aggregate mm-hmm. of like other war films, mm-hmm. very good. Um, mm-hmm. So to answer your question, yes, I think we could make past the glory today. And here's here's another, here's another point: is how many people that are younger in our generation, or even a lot of the boomers or Gen Xers, have seen Pass the Glory. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of a niche thing. Like, There's not a lot of people that have seen that. And so if you reintroduce it and you make it more historically accurate as far as like being in color, the uniforms and everything, and then have the dialogue. See, here's the thing is the dialogue in that film is very good. With oh, Kirk Douglas yeah. and the other actors that are there, the dialogue, once you get out of the action, because the action is, again, it's part of the film, that need, it's, well, it's a part of war movie. That's the funny. No, thing about this no, movie. it's an anti-war movie, and yeah. but you have to have that action scene to explain what happens next, and you have to have it being a hopeless bloodbath, and it's just like it's fucked, and then things go wrong and whatever, and generals are getting ridiculous, and they're calling in artillery on their own positions, and then oh well, I can't do it without a written order, and they do that for a reason because of this yeah. kind of bullshit, you know, and okay, what. Well, we could do that. We could make that film today, and I think it would be a hit, but it also wouldn't be as relevant because the Great War, nobody today really gives a fuck about that. It's a dead war. It, it's so well, it's so Look at old. 1917, though. Look how massively popular that was. Well, sure. You could frame anything, you know... That you would think is not popular in a good light today. You know? I, I, That's I feel fair. Like, I, I feel like 1917 though has that technological... Dallas Buyers Club. Not to cut you off, Nate, but no, you know, okay. like a guy that you know is buying drugs for his people, friends that have AD or AIDS or whatever in the 80s. I mean, you can make a movie of anything. It's just how you frame it, you know. So, I, yeah. I, I think I think 1917 has that lore of like a technological achievement. I mean, say what you want about the we story. We filmed and it on widescreen. It, it is a very. It is a very. Mm. I wouldn't say revolutionary. It's a very impressive visual. Effects Correct. I agree. Movie. Avatar, and, and, but in World War One. No, but the very, the very long shots. Like I thought that was, I because I've seen it and I was like I analyzed this and I thought 1917 was respectable in its own right. They got a lot of things wrong. They also got a lot of things right that I wouldn't right. have even expect them. The green grass fields to. of Passchendaele. I remember those. Well, those, if you if you, you, know. if, you if, if you if you look at it as a technological standpoint, like someone who dives into that yes and very passionate about it, it and and has an eye because i can brian's like been with me while i've watched i'm like that's fake that's <laughs> bullshit that's the cut that's a thing that's a, like I well can right yeah it. and and it's like and like in terms of like that Butchers yeah i could see when stuff <laughs> happens but then going back and researching like all the technological stuff that you do achieve those 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 
cuts and those and those transitions is very impressive. And I think 1917 as a whole is very technologically impressive, as you said, and as I'm saying. I'm, right? I'm yeah, rambling. it's it's I'm it's, nerd it's, rambling, but you know, no, it, it's fine. It, it's in its own right, it's a very cool film. It's a very respectable. I don't I don't have any I don't throw any shade towards it. Um, I Brian's just get, throwing shade at it, but I know you're not. Well, that's because <laughs> Brian's a fucking cunt, and he always movie will be. Movie with the plot doesn't make any sense because everything else. Like we have to send a message to this unit, so we have no other way of sending a message in 1917. We right, don't have field telephones. We don't well, have dogs. We don't have pigeons. We don't well, have messengers. Well, we don't have anything. We don't have radios. Well, the Germans okay, shoot the pigeons. What, what, what's wrong? You just with said you? we don't have messengers. <laughs> well, yeah. what did they do? They got messengers, well, right? Okay, sorry. All right, but, all right, you penis. Know. All right, penis. Let's let's just let's just settle it down here. Then <laughs> you just refuted yourself within one statement. Well, so you know the way it goes. he called you a genital. <laughs> I'll call him a penis. But anyway, um, so no, but like going on that, like, yeah, historically accurate. Uh, don't want to get into that right now. Greenfield as far as Passchendaele. Let's save it for actual 1970. That wasn't Passchendaele, you fucking clown. That was the Brits. Oh, that was well, show me the World War One battlefield with trenches that has, you know, green fields between it. Lots of them. The song? Not 1914. That wasn't 1914. Green cut grass. Still. Dude. Dude, 19 oh. You After kiss. the race to the sea, show me a kiss. green battlefield in World War One. There's a lot of them. A lot of them. Okay. A lot of them. Full. Actually, I, I can, and they're all black and white photos, but like there's a lot of battlefields in World War One that were Cut not grass. chewed up by artillery. They were actually very quiet sectors, and then they happened to launch an assault, and then whatever it was like. Anyway, that's we're going on a rabbit hole, but like I'll refute your ass any fucking day on that claim. Um, it got less I and less. I think 1917 is a little bit too, you know, no. the West Lawn. No, no, you're, you're, in, oh my God. Anyway, um, hey, Ackerman, how are you? How are you doing? <laughs> my name is Ackerman, by the way. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, if, if, if it was Ackerman, I wouldn't be able to call him Michael Haratek. I'm also mid Atlantic, so there's also that. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's basically saying Baltimore he's a fucking. is the thing. He's basically saying he's retarded without saying it. <laughs> the like, people from Maryland are just fucked in the head. So, yeah, he, yeah, it's not good. It's not. It's it's not a good thing. It's not say good. PSA say, for the say, whole say it again. Say it again for my slow mind again. One more time. <laughs> it's Ackerman. Ackerman. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Think I of hearted. Think of this. Think of Michael. You, you you know the Billy Joel song "I'm Moving Out," right? Yeah. The heart attack Ackerman thing. <laughs> That's what he first said when he first met me. Yeah. Okay. Yep, Ackerman. I literally said that. Ackerman. So, okay, got it. Ackerman. I got Ackerman. it, Mike Ackerman. Because right. Ackerman means he owns land, and he sure as shit does not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's we'll like just Swedish go that route. <laughs> All right, but anyway, um, so yeah, 1917, getting off of that, but like transitioning back. Um, so the landscape in 1917, Brian's going to be like, oh, yeah, you fucking cock, they're 17, like it was all chewed up. No. Actually, not terrible because they went they off to be in path. Tractors to mow the you know no man's land. Yeah, well, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, we're so never gonna get off. The- comparing <laughs> that with the terrain, the ter- no, I, I I'm trying to, but Brian's fucking preventing that. So getting uh, so the terrain not terrible. Pass the glory. That was actually like a that was Verdun basically. They're they're portraying Verdun, and that place was a fucking hellscape. That thing that place was. Yeah, that's what you're going to see and think of like when you're thinking about like World War One is just dirt, shell craters, barbed wire, shit just laying everywhere. That was a complete and utter clusterfuck on both sides. Like the Germans, 
A lot of the reasons they couldn't advance is because they had to get through all that shit. And that's the same reason the French couldn't. It was like, okay, well, whoever holds this position longer wins. And the Germans were like, well, we want to take Verdun because then we can get to Paris. We're only 15 miles out of the city. And they just didn't happen to do that. But it was it was ridiculous. And I think in Pass of Glory, the terrain they portrayed, I don't know what they had to do. That must have been a lot of work back then. A lot oh, of yeah. work. <laughs> but they actually got it to look very similar to the original photographs I've seen, like after the battle and everything, like after the war was over, like they took pictures of all these battlefields and it's like, holy, f- how, how could anybody even walk in that? How could, there's no way. And so I think in this film for that time, like they got that part really accurate, you know, and it, all the debris and shit, the planes that were crashed. Uh, I can't think of another movie that gets it that well done. I, mean, I don't know the either. Um, 60 is a really good movie as far as like landscapes and battlefields. Well, here's okay. I mean, the battlefield. Um, yeah. The, the no man's land looks really good. Here's one thing I want to ask though. Okay. What about the trench itself? Too wide, but that's because no, they have a camera guy. They got to put the camera coming. They no, the camera no, that's, there, that's yeah. not too wide. I really think it's not too wide. No, no. And at Verdun, especially um, it, it depended on where exactly you were, but it, okay. French it's not and German trenches too. And everything. I'm totally aware. Different. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and and so, mm-hmm. but the but you also look at the details of the French trench. It's wide, yes, but it's very. They're constantly going to have to do repairs to it. They're constantly going to have to. There, there, there's parts in the when we're doing the uh, the 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 walking shot, right, where you see like this part's got uh, wooden thatching, basically, like with sticks and everything. This part got blown out, and it's it, it's falling. Like you can see that. It's like the the Allied positions in general were never meant to be static they were meant to be okay well we're gonna just sit here and we're not gonna be here for long and so we're gonna have to advance and so we're not gonna put that much effort and time and materials into this trench because we're gonna be moving forward the germans figured it out very early and they said well this is where we're sitting this is gonna be our base of operations we're gonna pour concrete up in this motherfucker okay and they did they made it very permanent and if, if they would take a trench and they would hold it for a long period of time which didn't happen very often they would pour concrete and start building it up a lot more than the French, British, and then later on the American trenches, which were also French, mostly, and British. And so the Allied trenches are always going to be very hasty. They're going to be like, they're going to look really shittily dug. They, they were wide, though. That's the thing is, like, the ones that were there for longer, the longer they were there, they're like, okay, well, even if we're here another month, let's just dig a little bit wider just to get a little bit more, you know, because then we can get, you know, our, our wounded through. And so it was constantly improved in Verdun in 16, where this takes place, that would have been an average sized trench on the main front, you know, especially the ant hill is like a very fortified, they call it an ant hill for a reason. Every time they hit it, like more guys pop out. So obviously the Germans had that whole hill dug out and they've got a ton of guys up there. And so the French are going to be like, well, we have to get supplies and wounded through the back of our guys. So we're going to just dig this wider and forward. As time goes on. Now, in another sector where it wasn't as action-ridden, they would have been a lot thinner because they would have just said, okay, well, we don't need to have this that big because there's not a lot of action going on here. We're holding our trench. They're holding theirs. So it was very it was very variable. It was very... It, it was so... It was... Yeah, it, it was ridiculously insane. Like, if you look at aerial photographs, even, you can see this. If you look really closely, there's, there's sections of the trench that will be wide, like you see in the film, right? Very wide because it was a very active trench. And then you'll see below that, it's a very thin or, you know, 
five and a half, six feet wide, you know, six feet deep kind of thing connected to that trench, but it was a less active sector. And so that's kind of why that particular one, they probably chose to do that. Why? I don't know if that was luck or research, but it's not incorrect in my opinion. So. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. So I knew about the whole advanced thing, but I didn't know about the whole, like, you know, slowly make it better. So. Hmm. Right. They, they never let them make it. They, they, they never let them. They never let them really improve it that much because they were like, well, we're going to be on the advance soon. So yep. they would take out all those wood things and they dig a little bit farther forward and be like, all right, we'll put an actual MG position here. We can put a Hotchkiss 1914, which mm-hmm. is another problem I have with this film is they were having the, the French Vickers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. Now mm-hmm. let's just long story short, they would have had Hotchkiss 1914 machine guns and light machine guns because so it was cool to see a show show when I rewatched it recently. And I, like, I haven't, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch that. So yeah, we'll have to, it's not even IMFTB. I think. Right, so, so you'll have to you'll cool. have to send me the frames and the, the minute of the um, actual mm-hmm. film because that's very interesting because yeah. I did not catch that and they would have been there because at 1915 they were starting to be issued yep. in Verdun mm-hmm. they were used frequently so that that's very yep. cool but I didn't catch that so I'm glad first you did light machine gun basically yeah yep yeah it's uh it, well the first um I would call that actually the first automatic rifle yeah you know be because it was handheld and it could be carried by one guy. They're heavy. I'm lucky enough to have one. <laughs> right. And they fucking suck. But, but still, they're like, very fascinating. And for 1915, it's space magic. Right. And like, so in 0815. Like, fuck that guy with the Mauser. I got 18 rounds. Right. If it works, no, it will work. Yeah. And <laughs> so, like, the 0815, like the German, they call mm-hmm. it the light machine gun. It's not. It's still a cruiser weapon. Like, light in you, quotes. You, yeah. You've got, you've got a team that needs to follow you. Even though one guy can theoretically carry it, they can't hip fire it effectively. One guy can carry a 50 cal. It doesn't mean you can effectively right. use it. <laughs> exactly. And so that's kind of the thing is um with the with the CSRG 15 like that was it was it was interesting. Like that thing got thrown out there and used, but uh no, I, I yeah, when you get the chance, no rush of course, but like yeah, just send me the frames that you found those in. And Yeah, well, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's right before the the big attack, so. Yeah. The second big attack, but um yeah, so no, it's just a uh, for its time, it's such a good film. Yeah, it's know? it's it, it and, definitely uh, it's one of those that it's like, I like it. Like I, I understand all of its inaccuracies, whatever. I can forgive them because it's the the overall like the whole shit about the higher ranking guys being in it for themselves and being so disconnected from their soldiers. Uh, not the colonel, but like the you know what I'm saying, like the generals and stuff. It that that is timeless. It's 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 not just French either. Even though they had a mutiny the next year in their military, which is fun because of this kind of horse shit. Um, yeah, a little known fact: the, the oh, 1917. Jesus, yeah, the, yeah, not good. But like, uh, it's but it's not exclusive to the French. Like the U.S. military has gone through that. The Germans went through that. Where it's like you've got incompetent as fuck leadership, high leadership, and your field grade officers on down, or field grade is usually general, but like your. Uh, We'll just say field grade. They're going, what do I do? And you're, they do it or they don't. And then they face the, 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 the red tape. Well, like it's it, that. So I like the whole overall kind of um, theme of. It's all about the upper leadership. Well, yeah, I was, uh, when I was watching it, I was kind of thinking to myself, this is kind of like a more consequential version of uh, generation kill. 
you know, to where yeah, like yeah. Generation yep. Kill is very mm-hmm. much about like you're versus you're fighting your command as much as your enemy, and um, it's yeah. it, it has a lot of that in it of just you know people being incompetence and, and all that shit. And uh, oh yeah, but yeah. Um, reminded me a lot of that. So uh, just uh, really interesting mm-hmm. for 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 that sort of aspect of it. And that's why it makes it a really interesting war movie because yeah, that's what it's about. It's not about the the battles. And all. Right, and that's why I say it's timeless because. That was, you know, 2003 that that, you know, Generation Kill takes place. When I was in 2009, same thing. Um, I've talked to Vietnam veterans, Gulf War veterans, Korean War veterans, World War II veterans of all different, uh, every, every walk of life, you know, every, every country, you know, not just U.S. people, but like, and it's all a common theme is like when, when you get to a point where your upper leadership is so out of touch with the actual common soldier and their, the leaders, it's not good. And like, bad shit happens bad shit happens and that's what i think this film conveyed very well and very unapologetically is they don't give a fuck about anybody but themselves this film does a really good job of just depicting you know world war one in its real raw horribleness not in the sense of oh my god trans warfare oh my god artillery machine guns like world war one is the real last war of the imperial gilded age you know, we're like, you know, yep. soldiers literally are trash. You know, you are worthless. Like yeah. one of the guys is like, well, he said I'm here because I'm a social degenerate. I'm not a social degenerate. You know, like literally that was a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and yep. that, sorry. By sorry, the right. Second World War, you know, you, soldiers have rights. <laughs> France had gone through like a thousand governments between 1919 and 1939. You know, England, things were viewed differently. So it's just interesting, you know, how this is really the last war of like, cannon fodder soldiers <laughs> and they do such a good job in this of, of getting that you know and just getting the the fact it's just like you know we're together we're in the same trench but i am better than you it was so, it's, it's, you it's, know. it's it also might also be the last war where not to say nobility but maybe wealth was a big influence on rank mm-hmm. and structure it, it was it was definitely mm-hmm. and it was it was more so like um it became very apparent in the commonwealth or the british military is at that point the brits like um they had this thing where if you're of any kind of nobility and there was a war going on well that was your duty to go and be an officer and serve and whatever and so many of that so many of those guys got killed and what was funny is like before you know like enduring they were being killed the enlisted guys that were you know because you could be you could be a sergeant major from a lower class but you were in the military forever but you're still not nobility but these guys, the privates through the sergeant majors, saw that these guys are the exact same as them. When they're in the same situation, they're like, oh, shit. We always thought they were better than us. And that kind of boiled through to other uh, countries. But uh, Great Britain was the, the most prime example that I can use because they said, okay, well, you're, you are no different. What the hell makes you qualified to be an officer just because of your wealth? Well, here, I'm a sergeant major. I've been here for two years. I'll, I can keep us alive. Like, just do it. No, no, I'm, you're going to listen to me. And that, that, that kind of tension started. And it was like, oh, and then by the end of the war, when all the nobility, or not all of it, but like a really good chunk of the nobility had been killed off as officers because they were just fodder at that point, they started promoting like battlefield commissioning enlisted guys from the lower classes up to be officers. And the, the lower enlisted guys love that because they're like, he's relatable. He knows what's going on. He, he's got combat experience. He's not going to fuck us. 
you know, and Mustang, whatever. as they call them during World War II. Well, yeah, and that's a later that's a later stuff. term. And yeah. but for this to happen in the British military in the in the first in the Great War, that was like unheard of, and it was like they didn't have a choice. So it was it was this revolutionary kind of thing where that that kind of happened, and that's what led to the devolution. And you know, later on after World War II, that was the absolute devolution of the British Empire is because oh, the nobility isn't really all it's cracked up to be, and we can see this because they got killed and they got a bunch of our guys killed, but I survived miraculously. And I'm going to go back and tell everybody that this fucker that came from a noble family was a piece of shit. Didn't know what the hell he was doing. And you know, a guy got a Batfield commission as a Sergeant major to a, a, a second Lieutenant and did well. And that's why I survived. Well, word's going to spread. Well, just in the military sense, it's like, well, the nobility, well, whatever. And then societally, it kind of started to come to fruition too in the interwar years. And then, World War II was kind of the nail in the coffin for that whole facade of like, yeah, well, you're nobility. Empire. Yeah, yeah you're, you're nobility, so you're a good officer. No, that that fell apart greatly in, in, the, in the Great War. So You don't get your free regiment of, of men to go to the colonies and go take down the revolution. <laughs> right, know? right, yeah. It's a different empire. When so many so. of the nobility got yeah, killed. Yes. So many of them. Because yeah. like, in the British military, like the officers, like in most European militaries at the time, the officers go first. They lead the charge. And especially in the Battle of the Somme in 1960, I, I'm getting off topic. I know. I'm it comes sorry. the devil's paintbrush. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry I'm getting off topic and I'm kind of going on a rant, but um, it's relevant to the uh, past the glory thing because the French were not that far off from doing that. You know, they, they were they were not better. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to use that word, but they, they were very similar, but they weren't as um, black and white, I guess, as the British were. Where if you're nobility, you are an officer. If you're not, you're never going to be an officer. They did sometimes promote people, but like, yeah, it's it's weird. That's why yeah. the colonial armies aspect of the French military too. Yeah, you know. Yes, yes. The, the British did have a big colonial arm of their army, but the British Indian Army is different than the British Army. You know, I don't, Correct. people don't know that there Correct. were two different British armies for most of uh, of the empire. So, you know, it's interesting. But, yeah, the French were definitely more liberal with that kind of thing. And, and you know, the French are, are just basically Western European gypsies, if you really think about it. So they've <laughs> just been, they're looking for the next Roman Empire ever since they lost the last one. <laughs> Charlemagne, is that you? But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, sorry for getting on that tangent, but it was, I think it's, I think it's worthwhile to mention that. That's kind of the mentality of the First World War. And that's why you see in Pass mm-hmm. the Glory that the officers, they go without any kind of recourse, you know, like, like you fucked up. Well, we'll figure out a way to just put this on somebody lower. Yep, always something dependent on. Yep, and that's what's great too, is because you know they have the whole inquiry and everything, and then the artillery story finally pops up. Yep. and then you know, in the end, and it's like you always wanted his job. You were always, you know, and again, kind of just we haven't touched on this yet. Is just like how people's action can be misconstrued to, to the other things. Oh, you didn't really care for your men. You were just looking for his job. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> no, like, like, I'm a oh, good you're... fucking person, unlike you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. You but know? you got to justify it somehow, mm-hmm. you know, because you're a piece of exactly, shit. Yeah. So you got to project yourself. But and I hate that guy, but I love that guy because he's just so cold. And I, especially because they're eating, like, lunch. I'm like, oh. Yeah. So he tells me you had you ordered the artillery to fire your own troops. That guy is, like, the, that guy is like the biggest doofus in the whole thing. Like, he's just, you yeah. know. I mean, like the 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 other general guy, you know, with the with the dueling scar, like he's clearly got an agenda. The other guy's just like, okay, everything, blah 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 blah. Yeah, you know, he's just so you know, out of touch. So yeah, out of touch. Fucking moron, dude. 
oh, well, let's just make it a dozen then. You know, it's just like, fuck you. Yeah. He's a classic boomer. I know he's not a boomer because he's probably born, you know, a billion years before boomers are born. But yeah, he's a boomer. How he's a boomer. All time. Ultra yeah. boomer. Like everything, everything is great and just assumes. Oh, well, you know. Well, and then he's criticizing me. He's like, well, I don't wear doing a good job running the war. Don't you think so? Yeah. I know like, what oh, army I really? got, Who's son. You? I know what I'm you know? about. Oh, my God. You know. It's like all of a sudden there's an army behind you. Like, really? Anybody got anything else? Good ass movie. Really? It's great. Yeah, it's a good movie. So I think we, we can move on to ratings now. I love how you're um, eating while we're only doing an audio podcast. I yeah, really it's, love it's, that. You know, Isn't that fucking great? God. Isn't that fucking great? <sighs> you're I chewing in my ear, and you're day. also talking with a mouth full and Brian, of food. And Brian, I have misophonia. That triggers me. Okay. Oh. I haven't called you out on it, but you did it for the third time. You're welcome, Nathan. As yeah, an audio sure. engineer, it's like... Got, got like a big cock in my mouth, but <laughs> it's, it's not a big, not a big deal, well, Michael actually did no. say that, so... At least know, when you know, Mike, Mike spits a. into his spit cup, he's quiet about it. <laughs> right! I'm experienced. I'm not a fucking noob like this guy is. Sorry, I don't have 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. I don't so, either! You know. What the fuck are you talking <laughs> it's, about? Oh, it's 99.9, <laughs> whatever. 99,088. I think eight. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right, Brian. At least you don't have someone vacuuming in the fucking background. I've had that. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, n- no. What makes me sleep at night is that I'm not from Maryland. That's what really makes me feel. good. And then it so. cycles around so. again. <laughs> that must be a thing um, between you two. Anything east of the Mississippi is is yeah. bullshit. Anything east yeah. of the Mississippi is bullshit. Let's just leave it at that. Anything west of the Hudson is bullshit. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> but um, so yeah, yeah. clearly. <laughs> You to hoe. Yeah. Yeah. Never heard that one. Before. I'm not to hoe. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Your, so, the name of your state. Idaho. Are we are, are we gonna spare these people who are listening to this? <laughs> this <laughs> bullshit? For, what are we gonna do, Brian? For Ralph and his two friends. So um <laughs> let's rate this. Yeah. So yeah. you know, on a scale of again, it's all subjective. Um, we're gonna rate it and what we think is good. Uh, I know that Mike thinks this is gonna be the best thing since come and see it's the best movie ever um but uh Dude, his yeah, face so. twisted up so hard on that <laughs> i have a lot of so, I, I, uh, yeah i, I got strong wait, opinions wait, about wait till we talk i can't i cannot wait to hear this because brian is the diehard so i i, I cannot wait to hear I it i'm he going mike b and wait i are the sit, snacks i bring to mike, that podcast mike b and i are gonna sit here and go because it's just gonna be back and forth i sweat it um, uh, dude, dude, Polish, <laughs> Polish, hairy blood, dude. It, it warms me good. <laughs> um, oh my God. Okay. Go ahead, Brian. Oh yeah. So uh, I guess I'll start, you know, uh, this is growing up. It's always been really a staple of war movies. It's like, you want to watch a good world war one film. You could watch this. I mean, you could have caught it on TV at any point and it's just good to watch. It's just a very good film, you know, and it's for its small inaccuracies as far as firearms and uniforms and things. It really just as a whole, it's Kubrick, you know, it, it's just so good that it just holds up well. It's not like we were saying, you know, about um, All Quiet on the Western Front, how it's like, okay, you don't beat me with a hammer about the same subject, you know, from a film that's 90 years old. It's like you can watch this multiple times and really enjoy it. That being said, you know, I I rate it very highly, and it's just something I've always enjoyed. You can always make it better. So I give it like a 9.5 out of 10. You know, it's just a really good movie, and it's just a good staple. You know, it's like it's you can rag on it for its small inaccuracies and issues, but it's just it tells a good story. It's a good movie. 
and uh, it's just, yeah, watch it. <laughs> um, Mike B., I give you the talking panda. Right, yeah, it's, um, I agree with you, and I give it an 8 out of 10. I'm very stingy, though, with shit. So that's 8 out of 10 is not bad. And um, so, yeah, but the whole over the overarching kind of uh, message, it's a little bit in your face if you're not absolutely retarded. But it's still like it needs to be there because that's the kind of shit that went went down on not just the French side, but whatever. And every war, it happens that way. And yeah, so with that, yeah, the inaccuracies, whatever. It's that's icing I mean, on the cake. It is what it is. Like it, it would be cool if it was better, but who gives a fuck? So yeah, eight out of ten. Um, me next. Who are you gonna? Who do you want to go next, Mike? Oh, Mike A. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. Was, you're the fucking moderator here, penis. I told you I passed you the panda. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever, I guess. Okay. You'll drop oh it down God. to me, and then I'll pass it to Nate. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say probably 9 out of 10. I, um, I, uh, the, the writing for this movie is great. Uh, that's what I love about it. It's the, the, I mean, yeah, technical stuff is one thing and all that, but I love the writing in it. I love Kirk Douglas in it. Um, you know, actually, uh, they were uh, Kubrick had originally uh, penned it, so there was going to be a happy ending to where they got saved at the end. But Kirk Douglas was like, "No, mm-hmm. you need to have this end with them getting killed." <laughs> that was his thing. Mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas was the one who said, "No, oh. it needs to end with them getting killed." And wow. I'm glad they pushed for that. Honestly, the, the long drawn out killing too, because you you feel yeah, for yeah, they're walking, yeah, but, the drums and everything. Right, and, but um, yeah. I I love that 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 was the case because like and it's kind of surprising that that comes from the that that would come from the director. You'd think that the director would be the one who was wanting to push the hardness of it, but no, it was that he actually had a, a happy ending in mind. And there, when Kirk Lowe's was like, no, it has to be this way, which I think is perfect because there are a number of times in the movie where you're you're actually thinking these guys are probably going to get off. They're kind of building this up to where these guys are going to get off. And like, cause you spend time with them when they're in that cell, just like, you know, moping about this whole thing. You're just like, man, something's going to happen to where they get off and we're happy, but no, they just die. <laughs> you know, it just, it just inevitably happens. And, and, and one gets maimed, like almost beaten, yeah. you know, like, like, like killed before. Even right. Yeah. Lash easy, him so, yeah. to the stretcher to yeah. get shot. Yeah. 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 Well, he might not make it with that skull fracture. Well, he was out of it. You know, that was a good thing. He was out of it, but hey. Yeah, right. Basically, um, make Make sure to pinch his cheeks a bit so that he's uh, a little bit awake. Right. But uh, no, I think it's a really good, I think it's a really interesting message that not a lot of war movies, you know, really depict. And I agree that it's timeless. I mean, you can watch this anytime. It's like, yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front is dated. Anyone can watch this at any point, you know? It's it's great. Nate? Um, let me think. Everything's been said already that I was kind of thinking about. So, of course, that's the problem with going last. Okay, um, so anyway. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, I, I, I think I think everything has been said is, is pretty much hit everything I was thinking about on the head. I think if, if I take about an aspect that hasn't been thought about, you know, already that I've kind of already stated, you know, cinematography is great. You know, Kubrick's great at that. Um, you know, the effects are great. The story's great. The writing's great. Everything that everyone's said already. Um, you know, in in terms of you know, kind of like kind of chiming in on like you know, is it dated? No, it's not. It's it doesn't it doesn't have the problem that everyone's you know that's already talked about. You know, all quiet. And I think you know, I I think it's 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 a really really great um, film all all around. I mean, I'm not gonna harp everything else that's already been said, but um, I I think I I'm on the same page as Mike B. Just eight. Like it's it's great. I love it. Um, 
but it, it, it doesn't compete, you know, it, it doesn't compete with some of the higher ones I have. And that's just because I was, I, I never saw this until two years ago. So it's, so it's not a nostalgia thing for me. It's a very, very good film and I really love it. Um, but yeah, I'd say about eight for me. Eight. Oh, on. I got piss up. Got piss everyone. <laughs> eight scream Mel Gibson's out of 10. There you go. So, so I gotta, gotta keep that going. But yeah, no, um, it's a fantastic film. Absolutely watch. Nice. So I think cumulatively we're like an eight point seven five out of uh, ten, you know, yeah. for film. And uh, again, just I think we could all agree with the statement. It's just a good World War One movie. Yep. If you want, if you want a good, you know, it's not Wind Talkers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's not Wind Talkers. It's a good, you know, if you can deal with watching a black and white movie, which is a thing today. So some people want to watch movies that are black and white because they're retarded. Yeah. That boggled you know, my fucking mind. It's a good movie. Yeah. Black yeah, and white films it, uh, majority are hundreds and hundreds better than. I, this is this is another podcast we can go on for hours of talking about. Idiots, but <laughs> yep. yeah, if you could, if you could handle a black and white film, if you have more than ten on your SATs and you enjoy this movie, you know, definitely watch it. And if you're not from Maryland. Well, you know, well, apparently, well, you're from Maryland. You liked it, so I guess you know there's hope for everyone. Um, next week we will be doing come and see. So and come join us for the uh, fireworks. And uh, until next time, I, I cannot wait. I literally cannot wait. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like fucking giddy, dude. I, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm just giddy. I'm giddy just to be like, all right, here comes Brian. Here comes Mike. And... Uh, Anyway, yep, until next time. So, fuck you, Nathan. Ow. Later, Tater. (laughs) 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 Uh, I'm going to end it with fuck you, Nathan. That's going to be great. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating. Otherwise, Mel Gibson won't stop screaming. If you like this content, make sure to check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, scuttlebutt out.